it feels logically like you've got to be prepared, maybe even perfectly prepared to do something right. But in truth, that's not really it. Every day that goes by, that's a day that's gone from your life. You're never going to get it back. So like, if you're not doing the thing you want to do, what's the point? Because nothing works out the way you plan, I think planning and preparation is highly overrated. Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy, or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Let's go. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and today I am talking to someone. I I mean, honestly, I'm excited whenever I talk to my guest, Dinah, but I'm as excited as if I were speaking to the inventor of coffee. (laughs) Wow. Well, that is amazing, and I am that excited to talk to you, too. Dinah, could you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Dinah Trout. I'm one of the three co-founders of Health Aid Kombucha. Um, we are based in Torrance. And let's see, I led the company as CEO for its first 10 years. We started the business about 10 years ago. And I recently moved into a new role called Chief Mission Officer when we sold the business. So that's me. I've got two sons. I live in PV, happily married, you know, love to do yoga and stuff like that. We can talk all about it. For the uninitiated, do you mean Torrance, California? Yes. Sorry. Yes. The company's based in Torrance. Yes. I live in, I live just about 15 minutes away in a small little nook of LA County called Palos Verdes. Well, I am thrilled to talk to you. Dinah, we have talked about kombucha on the show before. Longtime listeners will know that. I will link to some of the episodes in the show notes, folks. And also, of course, we have covered the gut microbiome dozens and dozens of times. And we're not done covering the gut microbiome and gut health, et cetera, et cetera. But I really wanted Dinah on today to talk about Dinah and her journey with this company, her journey with HealthAid Kombucha and the founder's story and your journey is just a wild one. I enjoy it so much and I'm really looking forward to you sharing that on the air. But also, Dinah, I just really wanted to share some of the truths about the entrepreneurial journey and what it's really like because I find in recent days, we really glorify the hustle and it's super sexy and it's 24-7 or it's nothing and I would just like to talk to you about that and let me, and and talk a little bit about what that means to you and what that, what that looks like. A little truth talk. A little truth. Yes. And now listen, you guys, I will link to Dinah's full history of the company. If you want to hear the founder story, but Dinah, would you please give everybody sort of at 30,000 feet, a little bit of background about this company, because you did not even intend to start a kombucha company. Yes, I will. So just so everybody gets a little context, my background prior to starting HealthAid was in nutrition. So maybe it doesn't feel that far of a gap uh, or big of a gap to, to jump to kombucha. But I did my graduate degree in nutrition and public health. I was super into food, super into cooking, fermenting foods. And that's where I learned how to make kombucha in graduate school. But I didn't know it was going to be my identity 10 years later. And for 10 years after that, um, Moved to LA with my musician boyfriend and got a 
you know, corporate job and met my best friend there. And the three of us were the ones that started Health Aid together. Now, it took us five years of sort of this corporate life to figure it out. And it wasn't supposed to be kombucha at first. Like we all decided we wanted to start a business. We were feeling very, you know, sort of imprisoned by the corporate world, very inspired to do our own thing. We felt we had all the assets, everything but money. None of us had experience, of course. And I think that was one of our greatest assets because we didn't know how hard it would be. And perhaps that could have been, um, its own deterrent. I'm glad it wasn't. But anyway, Justin, you know, was his hair was thinning. And also he saw through a bunch of other businesses that he had been connected to that like people could be really successful in the business of hair loss. And so he was really motivated to try to find a solution for that. And because I had my background in nutrition, I was like, well, let's find like a food-based natural organic you know, solution for hair loss. And at that time, let's call it 10 years ago, 2012, there wasn't really much out there. You know, there were like a few products, they were super chemically based, nothing was really natural. So we started researching what would regrow hair. And in our search, we found that the kombucha culture, the SCOBY, also known as a SCOBY, would be used, you know, anecdotally across the world as like a, a mask on the head. And people would put it on, you know, after they showered, let it sit for like five minutes and they would report that their hair, uh, lo and behold, would grow back over time. And I was like, well, I know how to make kombucha. I make a really good kombucha. In fact, my SCOBY came from Tibet and it was like, I believed it was like extra special and it was really delicious. Now to make a SCOBY, you have to make a batch of kombucha. So when we decided we were going to make a kombucha-based hair loss product, I had to start by making a ton of kombucha. And again, the liquid was a sort of byproduct, if you will, even though it was really good. It wasn't the liquid we were interested in. We were interested in the culture that developed. So we were basically making as much kombucha as our kitchen in LA could muster and then like harvesting these cultures like mad scientists in our closet. And then we would bottle the kombucha and we didn't throw it out because it was obviously delicious and high quality. And I always use the best ingredients. Um, So we would just like give it to friends and stuff. Long story short, three weeks, four weeks after doing this, we were really excited to get started and we were running into some troubles creating a product that like didn't smell bad because kombucha is fermented. So like we had only just got started on like building a product and we were running into some things normal, but we got an opportunity from a friend of a friend of a friend that was like, Hey, I heard you guys are starting a hair loss product. Uh, you know, we're trying to build out the uh, Palisades, the Pacific Palisades farmer's market to be more than just like farm stuff. We want to create more like packaged goods. Would you sell your hair loss product there this summer? By the way, you have like a month. It starts in March. And uh, we were like, yes, yes, we'll do it. We said yes before, of course, we even had a product, which I think number one key uh, to success for us, because had we said no, I don't know where we'd be. So we said yes. We tried another week at the hair loss product, couldn't get it to work, but we had like 60 cases of kombucha just unlabeled that all they needed were labels. And so we we pivoted at that moment. We said, okay, this summer we'll sell farmer's market kombucha that we make in our apartment closet. Really good kombucha. We'll flavor it with like farmer's market cold pressed juice. It'll be like the best kombucha you can buy. And with that money that we make in the farmer's market, we will fund this hair loss business. And then of course, the summer had a very different story. So sorry for the long-windedness of it all, but I wanted you all to know that it didn't start as kombucha. It started as hair loss and then it pivoted to kombucha because the customers just loved it. That was basically what it was. 
And I love that this was that this was driven by necessity, urgency, almost ignorance being bliss in this case. And to me, absolutely. that's how most great ideas are born. You're absolutely right. It was like this impatience and hunger and thirst for something we didn't even know how how to get to, but like that was what drove it. It was the grit. Dinah, one thing that I'm frequently talking about is that on the internet, in the interwebs, you know, in the public sphere, you see successful entrepreneurs and people who have accomplished great things and they are telling their journey and it sounds so linear and it sounds so well executed and organized. And I look back at anything I've ever done and I've done it quite by accident or it looks very up and down and all around. And instead of uncooked spaghetti in a straight line, it is very very cooked spaghetti and it's all over the place. And I could never have predicted this path. What do you say to someone who maybe is idealizing where you are today for reference? What was, what were 2021 revenues ballparkish for health aid? Over, over a hundred million. Okay. So, that, and that's, that's conservative. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I, yeah, um, between a hundred and 200 million. So yeah, we're in 65,000 stores fastest growing kombucha six years in a row, right? Like we're in most grocery stores. There's plenty of space to grow still, but yeah, it's like a legitimate business now. It's a real company. <laughs> now, if Dinah 2022 could talk to Dinah 2012, what would you tell her? <laughs> Don't look <laughs> because, <laughs> well, because, and I often actually refrain from letting new found founders, especially those that are building manufacturing integrating manufacturing into their space because manufacturing is the thing that is like, holy crap. I mean, that has evolved so much since we were making it with siphons in our apartment closet and juicing with a Breville, you know? So if 2012 Dinah came in and saw our, our brewery today, she'd be like, I have no idea how to build that. Like, I'm never going to know that this is required, you know, 25 PhDs to build and fermentation experts and, you know, $18 million just for this brewery. Um, but of course I didn't need that at that moment. In fact, I didn't need that until year eight. So all you have to see is that, that one, two steps ahead of you. Um, and yes, I would agree with you about the noodle. It is not linear. It's not even close to linear. Nothing that I predicted happened the way I predicted it. In fact, I mean, yes, noodle all over the place, ups, downs, more probably downs than ups. And the downs are really swampy and messy and despairy. And it's, it's a difficult thing, not just for business, but for personal development as well. Like your personal self is just as important a journey as the business journey itself. So, yeah, I mean, if you were just to look at our revenues and people often want to talk about revenues, you know, like what's your growth, growth, growth. HealthAid had a really positive growth story. It's whole in its whole existence. Like there wasn't a year that we didn't grow double digits. That's not always the case. That's rare. But I can promise you when you see that in a business you better believe that if it's growing 4X, it's got four times the problems, you know, and the founders are going through four times the turmoil. And all of that is part of the equation. Well, you have made life extremely easy and uncomplicated for yourself by going into business with your best friend and your husband. <laughs> with no money and no business experience. Yes. I would just love to marinate in that for a moment and just riff on that if you would, Dinah. <laughs> You know, again, it's a little bit of ignorance is bliss, but then now I'm looking back and I'm like, well, I can't imagine having started a business with someone else. Okay. So let's talk about the relationships first. So I, we picked each other, you know, simply out of goodwill and intention. It was like, we all three found ourselves in the same spot, if you will. We were feeling 
uninspired by our current work situations, uninspired by our financial situation. We were kind of living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, we all had jobs, so it wasn't like we were in the streets or anything, but like, you know, we had to wait to get paid to pay our rent. It was kind of like that. And so we were just really feeling like this wasn't the story of the life that we wanted for ourselves. And whenever we tried to build what we wanted, it was like, how are we ever going to get there? And it felt like the only way was to start our own business and build it in a way that we could be proud and build it on the pace that we wanted to run at, which is fast. We're All three of us are quite, I guess, impatient would be the word I would use, um, but we, we like to go. We go before we're ready and um, it's scary and uncertain, unfamiliar, all those things, but that's how we kind of like to roll the three of us. So I think that was an important thing. So we picked each other because we were all kind of in the same spot. Like, let's do this. We can do this. We got nothing to lose. What I wasn't thinking about at that time is, okay, how is this relationship going to weather this storm? Because of course, I didn't even know it would be you know, a swampy mess of despair at times. The, there's good and bad to choosing friends and husbands and you know siblings, whatever, to these things, right? The good is, of course, you trust each other, you communicate honestly. That's so important with the founder of a business. Um, the downside, of course, is where your friendship ends or relationship ends and the business begins will require a lot of boundaries. And we had to learn that over time. It's particularly hard with someone you live with. So I would say it was less hard to do it with my best friend than it was with Justin, my husband, only because, you know, once you throw kids in the mix too, it's like, whoa, you know, do you even have a relationship outside of parenting and raising this business? And of course you can, you can, you just have to create boundaries and feed what you want to grow, right? So it's as simple as date nights, vacations away together, not talking about work at home. Very simple on paper, but hard to do. Over time, we learned it. I would say the most important thing though about founders, whether it's your best friend or stranger, only because I've mentored and advised quite a few founders that are you know, getting started again. The biggest problem I see is when people don't put in equal work. And that was never a problem with the three of us. The three of us were equally dedicated to this. And I think looking back, that was probably the most important thing because no matter what, everybody put their all into it. And when I talk to other founders that have issues with their founders, it's usually one person isn't given as much as the other, but yet they have the same equity or whatever. And then there's issues with that. So I think that's why it worked with the three of us. It was hard, but now our relationships are so incredibly strong. And the irony is if I start a business again, I will absolutely start it with them. I think that's amazing. And I think you're probably still the exception, but a couple of observations about what you just said. One thing is, in addition to putting in equal work, I'm going to assume that you had equal skin in the game, which I think can be very level setting. Everything was a third, a third, a third. Now, when it came to decisions, you, you, you know, that's where it becomes difficult because decisions for a business Listen, if it's like majority, you can try a majority rules uh, approach, but there are, it just didn't work. Um, You do need a head on the horse. There needs to be a CEO when it comes to the business, um, I think. And that that's important. So as far as business decisions, I don't think it's necessarily a third, a third, a third, but as far as ownership over the business, yes. One of the things that is interesting for better or for worse is that you don't have the luxury of walking away. So the commitment is already at 11 out of 10. And so you absolutely have to face whatever it is you need to face. And the only way around it is through, right? So whether it's personal or whether it's business, you you have this 
massive commitment that's greater than you. And that's true for people who aren't in business together, of course, but find themselves in a marriage. And that commitment is presumably greater than the sum of its parts. But don't you find, I mean, you don't have a choice but to work Mm -hmm. through some of the biggest challenges. Is that true? Yes. It's a really good insight that I hadn't really thought about because there were moments, I mean, look, I'm not surprised when I hear about businesses, you know, being the sort of impetus to a divorce, you know, between uh, a couple that started a business together. And I'm not surprised because the it's unnatural in a way, the burden that it puts on a relationship, right? You have to really force time together. You have to force the business out you have to force the feelings, you know, aside um, that have to do with business until tomorrow, you know, um, and you have to prioritize the marriage. You have to say, no, this is just as important or more important to me than the business. And so the only way we're going to work this out is if we work it out. And so you're right. The sort of suppression of things becomes um, no longer an option. Perhaps that is an option when it's not someone you like you know, if you ever find yourself in a scenario with a founder that you don't care that much about, it's easy to walk away, right? Um, not so easy when it's your best friend or husband or whatever. So I think you're absolutely right. And you know, isn't that such a good lesson for life too? It's funny, my kids, so I've got a two and six-year-old, you were saying yours are a bit older. So I was reading this book just last night. It's funny you said it. It's like, there's a bear chasing them or something. They have to go through this crazy forest to get away from the bear. And what's repeated in the story a number of times is, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We have to go through it. And it's like a repeat in the book. And I kept reading it being like, oh my gosh, this is life. Can't go over it. Can't go over it, under it. Have to go through it. And that's that's a great way to think about business. I think just to connect a few dots here, Dinah, there are some people who don't, ha- you know, they're not particularly entrepreneurial and, and perhaps don't have a side hustle of any sort. But I think that what's enormously relatable is perhaps they're in the business of raising a family and perhaps the business of raising that family finds them in a CEO and a COO role and they have to be extremely intentional about reconnection. So I would submit to you, those of you who are joining us today, that this applies to anyone who has to balance competing priorities and that if we are on autopilot all the time, they're there are consequences. And I think, Dinah, for me, the answer has always been trying to be as intentional as possible. Not every day. (laughs) Uh, No, you can't do it every day, right? Then you'd be like dividing yourself a hundred which ways. But I think it's you're right. It's not just about relationships. The one I see the most sort of deprived of and those not in business, as you put it, are the relationship with self, you know, like self-love, self-care, giving yourself time, energy, You know, so most of my, in particular, parent friends really struggle. They've got like, you know, because kids come and they're babies and they're so needy, they're demanding. I feel like that first step of motherhood is basically just entirely selfless. So then you have to work back in, you know, the selfishness, if you will, even though I hate that word because it's got a negative connotation. I wish there was a positive way to say that, but um, you have to work it back in. And that's hard for some people to be like, wait, I deserve this hour for myself. I I've, you know, I can take this for myself. Instead, we find ourselves in autopilot where you're giving to the house, giving to the co-parent, you're giving to the kids, you're giving to work, you're giving everywhere, you're giving everything, you got nothing left. And then what happens? You're starving. And then when you're starving, all kinds of things blow up, you know, resentment, blah, blah, blah. So just the same way, you've got to 
prioritize that part and say, well, this, this piece is still a piece of the pie and it still needs a little food above my desk in my room. It says what, what you starve will die. What you feed will grow really that simple. And it's like everything in your life. (laughs) This is a critical conversation because I started off saying, you know, we're, we're in a day and age now where we glorify the hustle. And I don't know about you, but when you're getting started in business and I'm using examples from my own life, you're on a completely different level than I am in terms of what you've achieved, Dinah, but everyone listening is where they are and they are having their experience from where they are. So no matter where you're sitting, everything you just said rings true for everybody at some point in their journey. When someone looks at your life and they're like, okay, you've got this really successful company and it's a very well-known brand and oh my gosh, you have two kids and they're two and six and oh my gosh, you have a husband who presumably you kind of like and you still have friendships and you still get out in the world and oh my word, you still shower. I am so impressed by you. There is a glorification of us doing all the things all the time and doing them beautifully. Is there a story you can share or just anything you would say to those who might look at you and think that you've just got it all going on. And can you, can you break down the reality of what that might look like through an example or just sort of the tools you use in your own head? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I do not have it all. I do not have it all going on. I cannot do it all. I am not superwoman. Nobody is. You know, I will say this. I ran into a really dark time and I'm trying to think exactly when it was. It was probably about halfway through the business, like five years in, something like that, where the burdens were just overwhelming. I I was underwater trying to do it all. And the business, of course, on, you know, it's sort of extra. It's it's more than just like a nine to five job, right? So it's and even that is a lot, you know, plus kids, blah, 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 all the things we talked about. So I was in a, I would say a pretty dark place and and not able to breathe or thrive. I wasn't in a good place. I And, and it was something that I did that made me look in the mirror and sort of see it. I want to say I joined, a, it was actually a health aid event. I went to a health aid event and I was at the point where like, I couldn't even go to the bathroom during the day. Like not even, you know, we're not talking a 10 minute break here. Like I couldn't even go to the bathroom. Without, no time. Without being on the phone. Yeah. It was like, it was just no time. So of course I'm fried. Of course I'm not able to give to my kids what I want. It was not good. Anyway, I remember going to this like workout event uh, for Health Aid, where Health Aid was sponsoring this fitness event for women. And there were all these women there and they were all so energized. And when I say beautiful, I don't just mean um, on the surface, like they had this beautiful energy, vibrant, healthy, vibrant, high-fiving each other. And here I am in the back corner, like, you know, kind of waiting for this to end. And I remember at that moment being like, wait a second, this isn't who I am. I had this a bit of like a, a, I don't know, come to Jesus moment, whatever you want to call it, where I was like, this is not me. This is not who I want to be. This is not who I was when I was 18 and in college, like the energy is gone. And I sort of realized it and then began my journey of taking it back. And to get it back, I learned for one, I had to identify So when you're in these times of being completely overwhelmed with responsibilities, which so many of us find ourselves in, I think you have to identify the things that you want to be, not what you want to do so much, but what you want to be. So I wanted to be really good to myself. I wanted to be 
energized enough that I could be my joyous, bubbly self. Like, cause I was like a disgruntled, angry, like, I don't know who I had become, but it wasn't me. I wanted to be a, a good, loving wife who had a healthy relationship with her husband and they did things together and connected on that individual level. I wanted to be a great mom. I wanted to be an awesome CEO who inspired its employees. So I wrote these things down. And it was basically five things that were really important to me to be. Again, not to do. This is, I want to be a good wife. I want to be good to myself. I want to be a good mom. Okay, these are the things. So a lot of things weren't on that list in the end. And when I looked at my day, so the next step after you do that, you like create sentences, these five things, whatever. Um, I, I looked at my day and I realized like so much of my day is spent not on these things. Um, and so the first step was to kind of, I mean, I guess the second, the first step is to identify it. The second step is to remove all the things that aren't driving these five things. And it was so much. So listen, it's a, it's a privilege to delegate certain things. And I know it's not available to everyone all the time, but it's funny. I wasn't making a lot of money at that time. And, and I figured out somehow to delegate the things that weren't driving those five things. So that that was really it. So when you see someone doing it all, really the question we should be asking is, well, what have what are they not doing? I stopped cooking. I mean, it's it sounds crazy, but because I'm a I created a cookbook. My whole thing is cooking. I love to cook. People who used to know me would have said I'm like, that's all I'm doing is cooking and everything. I literally had to stop because I couldn't do that and all these other things. So I'm like, okay, this isn't the chapter where I'm cooking at home. So I needed to find solutions. I live in LA. There were solutions that fit our budget that like we could have healthy food delivered, healthy food made, whatever, food prep, whatever. But even food prep was so much work that I'm like, no, I want my Sunday to be with my kids. So I'm not doing that. Um, so I did have to give up on some of things, some things that maybe I liked, but didn't like need. So anyway. It is prioritizing what you want to be and then only doing those things and not just only doing those things, but making sure you're doing those things. So like, okay, so out of that, as an example, put yourself in my shoes. Five years into the business, it's crazy. We're private equity backed. The pressure on us is insane. We do our best math to be like, okay, we think we can push this thing to be like 3X next year, right? That's already insane. Wheels are going to come off. Wheels are definitely going to shake. And the private equity is come is like that's not good enough. Do five, you know. I mean, it's like this is the pressure that's on us, and we're figuring it out. But you got to do it with this cash. You're not getting paid like you know anywhere close to what a you know a real CEO should be made at this point. So you're still kind of I was there, you know. And yet after doing this exercise of identifying what I wanted to be and seeing that I wasn't spending enough time one on one with my kids. You know, out of this, I designed essentially a life where I'm like, well, maybe every, this sounds kind of crazy, but like every other Thursday, I'm going to take off and my day is going to be with my kid because I'm traveling four out of seven days a week. I'm barely seeing my kids. I feel this mom guilt all the time. So anyway, that was my solution. Every other Thursday, I'm taking off just to be with my kiddos. And that, just that one thing. And of course, it felt like, how am I going to do this? I have so much work, you know? But, you know, it's funny just like anything, you figure it out. So once you commit to it, everything else kind of falls in place and you figure out how to do the work around it. And it was fine. The business didn't even feel it. And it was one of the best things I could have ever done because I got my relationship back with my son and, and health aid didn't suffer. So all that I was worried about really was sort of unbacked. There's a real process there, though. And you said it started with awareness. So you identify what you want to be 
And I might build on that and say, also, how do you want to feel? And conversely, what do you want to not be? And how do you want to not feel? Yeah. (laughs) Right. So your journey began with awareness. This is so funny. Like eventually someone just needs to write this book where you talk about how first it starts with hustle, 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 say yes to absolutely everything, make it up as you go along. And you find yourself then having a business that needs a maturity of process. And like, you have to start hiring. Like there's a whole arc here. Then you get to the, 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 the top, so to speak. What I mean is rapid growth, some level of success. Of course, you're not earning any money at that point, but the company's doing well. And then like the wheels start to come off, the better the company does because it's a vampire, right? It's sucking your life force. It's sucking you all of your resources and almost every successful person breaks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then in that journey, right? And by the way, By the way, success as you define it. Again, if you're sitting in on this conversation with Dinah and I, this might be that you were just balancing too many personal priorities. That's what it might look like for you. Mm -hmm. And I just want to underscore a few things that you said. It began with awareness and asking yourself what you want to be. And then you kind of did an audit of your life to look, you know, where, where are your actions out of alignment with your actual priorities? Exactly. Sometimes it's just a strategic pause, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just a moment with yourself and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My body's telling me a truth. My mind is in my spirit. Like they're all trying to tell me something. What if I listened? Yeah. And you have to manage your expectations too, because I think oftentimes we're in our own way. We've created this sort of like idealistic um, world where we do do it all. And we want to do all these things. You know, we want to like have all the cool clothes look polish, take care, you know, have this, but it's not possible. It's an impossible scenario. So being okay with letting go of those things that are not on the list is just as important as putting those things on the list. Dinah, let me ask you one more question, kind of about mindset and doing the work to get yourself to a place where you can accomplish truly what you want. And a lot of people, and and I will say, I want to speak to women specifically here, a lot of women will disqualify themselves from doing the thing because either they look around them and they suffer from comparison and they think they're falling short because they're comparing their chapter one to somebody else's chapter 50, um, or they feel like they're an imposter because they're not qualified, they don't have the right blah, blah, blah. You know, they don't check the right boxes. Here's what I heard you say. What I heard you say is that to some degree, you didn't know what you're entering into, right? Again, we were joking, but not really about how that's how many great things are born. But you said, I said yes first. And and the implication there was you said yes before you truly like had a total grasp on where we you were going. We didn't even have a product. We didn't even have a product. You said, yes, we're going to sell one in three weeks. Yeah. So, so you know. at, At the risk of putting you on the spot for an impromptu TED Talk, I just have to ask you, what do you say to the women who are joining us today and like they're not doing the thing because they keep waiting till they're ready? Yeah. Well, first I would just say, I understand, you know, I understand because it feels logically like you've got to be prepared, maybe even perfectly prepared to do something right. But in truth, that's not really it. Every day that goes by, that's a day that's gone from your life. You're never going to get it back. So like, if you're not doing the thing you want to do, what's the point? You know, life in a lot of ways is like, a, it's like your canvas. So you're sitting there with the paintbrush, like hesitating to paint the canvas. I mean, that's, you know, because nothing works out the way you plan. I think planning and preparation is highly overrated. 
because it never ends up. I mean, I think it's good to have a plan and like sketch it out and like see where you want to go. But like, I mean, when does it ever go to a T? Never. So you have to learn how to go with the flow. And it's more like put your best foot out there and then deal with what comes at you because business is mostly, at least for us, it's been mostly problem solving. Like, oh, okay, this didn't go the way it was supposed to. Now, what do I do? And by the way, had you had a better plan, I don't know that it would have gone the way you wanted it to anyway, because shit just happens. It's sort of like um, business starting and not just business, starting anything you want is kind of like betting on yourself. But the person who wins is not the one I think who had the best plan. I think it's the one who puts themselves out there and like does it and has the confidence and courage to do it. And if you believe you're a good problem solver, which I bet you are, that's really all it takes. You're betting on your problem solving skills more than your planning skills. Dinah, thank you so much for your time and your story and your insight. I appreciate you so much. I have to ask you before I let you go, what is one thing totally unrelatedly, what is one thing you're just loving right now? Okay. So I try to go to bed, before, you know, like around 10 o'clock because my kids wake up at like 630. So that's like started, I, I read usually half an hour before bed. I was up till midnight last night and every night this last week, because I cannot put this book down. Everybody needs to read it. It's called Educated by Tara Westover, I believe is her name. Whoa. Like best book I've ever read. It's a memoir about her life. She's extremely accomplished today, but where she came from, it's like, it's, it's another planet. I won't tell you more than that, except that it's inspiring. It's it's provocative. It made me, it's made me cry, laugh, look at my own life. It's inspired me to want to write my own book. It's like very good. So anyway, that's, I'm loving that right now so much that I'm intersecting and interrupting my own sleep for it. (laughs) Got it. I'll link to it. Dinah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or get the show notes and all the links shared today at onairella.com. There's no with, it's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.